I've loved clothing and beautiful things. And, you know, since I was a child and my high school classmates, you know, today uh, remind me that I would come to school in the strangest get-ups. Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Elaine Kim. Elaine is a fashion designer from the LA area and has boutiques across America and also takes her show on the road. And when I say her show, she takes her fashion on the road and does pop-ups all around the country. Elaine, welcome to Talk Design. Thank you for having me, Adrian. What a pleasure. Absolutely. It's all mine, trust me. Hey, um, I want to kick off with a couple of um, questions because obviously you're super creative. You do beautiful clothing and you're also a mad king gardener. (laughs) I'm going to call it a pandemic gardener. Tell me, first of all, about being a pandemic gardener. And, uh, and then we've got some questions around that too. Right. So this is, this is really um, perfect because I wanted to bring in the gardening towards the end because <laughs> I thought, you know what? I know you're totally obsessed right now with gardening, but remember, you're a fashion designer and you have to talk about fashion first. But hey, all bits are off now since you that, asked that, that's me That's done, first. baby. We're through that Right, part. right, right. Let's get that done because... <laughs> yeah. It is very important at the moment. Um, So uh, I live in Laurel Canyon, which is the Hollywood Hills. Mm -hmm. And this area, um, we live along a ridgeline, a lookout mountain uh, curves around and below us is a huge kind of bowl area um, where the people you know, it's sort of neighbors, it's the center and then all the other houses border upon it. Okay, cool. And we were fortunate enough to uh, be offered the lease on the land. (laughs) It's almost an acre of land that's under our house. So, you know, we just walk right down and then you look up and you see all our neighbors, the backs of all our neighbors' houses. But the bull is a oak forest it's a native oak forest uh, coast live oak and um there's you know there's an understory and we probably have about three dozen oaks and sycamores and black walnuts so it really is a native um kind of uh riparian uh area it's almost Mm -hmm. like having your own forest in your backyard it is my own forest i'm so fortunate and um and just for the architects out there the land happens to come with a geodesic dome um that was uh a buckminster fuller uh, yes um it's a wooden cabin it's a wooden cabin right that was built by um my my friends who we rent from um, Evan Mills, he grew up on the land uh, on one of the properties, and his dad built it with his own hands. So we got the the dome house, 
and we got the forest. And at the bottom of the forest, we have a very light area. So you can imagine most of it's sort of dappled shade. But at the very bottom, we have a clear area. There's a lot of sun. And um, so this was before the pandemic. We took the property. (laughs) And I remember a meeting. Just before. Uh, just about this was in January wow. that we we signed the lease for it. And, you know, I had no idea anything was going to happen. All I know is that I'd really been wanting to um, do this gardening and, you know, explore more of a lifestyle kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah, I was a bit higher. Right. Yeah. Yes. So um, I gathered my staff around me and I said, Hey, everyone, you guys are doing so amazing. What a wonderful team I've, you know, I've assembled here and you guys can, you know, take it from here. Uh, I'll flip in and out. I'll still do what I do, but just, I won't be day to day. But otherwise I'm going to the woods. (laughs) I'm going to the woods. I'm going fishing. All right. So I'm going gardening. So I've told them that and not, you know, 45 days later, everything shut down. And all of a sudden, I happen to have the garden now and lots of time um, to work on it. So uh, it was it was amazing. And at first, it was just like a meadow at the bottom with grass, right? Yeah. And I envisioned, you know, a few beds. um, And of course, that quickly grew into 20 raised beds. So yeah. today I have quite a farm down there. I've got beehives. Wow, um, awesome. I've got, yes, a pond for the bees to drink out of. Um, I grow everything from um, artichokes to arugula. <laughs> so cool. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and I'm just learning all the time. I'm by no means, you know, the, I should mention that composting is my favorite aspect of gardening. <laughs> I know it's crazy. So many fun things. Anyway. What, um, what a cool yeah. endeavor though, to um, take this space and to the other neighbors get into this as well. That, or is it mainly just you? It's just me. And um, my husband's way into it as well. Um, actually it, it did take a bit of doing. I've got tree trimmers in the neighborhood. No, it's okay, don't worry. <laughs> All right. So um, the that uh, yeah, he's into it. Of course, I couldn't do this without his help as well. But um, now I did want to pull this out of my hat, Adrian. <laughs> he is an architect. Oh! My husband is an. <laughs> I love so, it. He's an architect by training, and he works actually in brand consulting right now, marketing and right. But a lot of his projects involve architecture and retail interiors and exteriors and things like that. So, of course, for him to garden with him is great because, you know, when I tell him I need a three by nine foot bed. He knows exactly how to do that. He knows exactly how to do it, and he knows how to make it B 
beefy and fabulous and he knows how to do the structure so he it's been a good drain well drain well and um where it should be best orientated <laughs> for the sun and you right. know if there's likely to be a breeze that's going to come across and damage any plants and yeah he'll right. he'll have the landscape exactly. in his mind yeah that's oh, that's so cool you you know a lot about it <laughs> but i have to say you know creativity i mean you know, when you asked me to talk about creativity, yeah. I mean, creativity is problem solving. And so this garden is endlessly creative. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. The other thing that's amazing with a garden is, is um, and, and you can't force it. This is, you know, the, I don't know whether you've ever heard of this sort of saying the law of the farm and, and it has a cycle. And nature has a cycle. And we can force so many things in our world now because we have, well, we used to be able to, because we used to have sort of unlimited travel, um, a, a ability to ship things from one place to another overnight. And, or you can still do that. You know, I can order a pair of shoes one day and they're at my front door the next and they've come from Brazil or somewhere, you know. Um, right. Thank you, Jeff, for getting us those yeah. things so quickly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we've got, um, we, you can't force nature. It still runs at a cycle. And one of the, the most beautiful things with that is that to be a part of nature, you actually have to embrace its cycle. It does, it's never going to embrace yours. And when you right. start gardening, the, the rhythm of it is, and that's yeah. what, that's what, Everybody, and you know, pandemic has taught this to so many people, is the value of our, of nature and being outdoors and in nature and and you know, basically tree hugging. Yes, yes. And the speed, the speed that nature works at. You can run in it, you can yeah. walk in it, or the rest. Nature doesn't change depending on what you want to do in it. It is. It's a it's constant, but then it seasonally cycles. And its right. cycles are long. You know, I always think of um, Japanese culture where they plan, you know, a, a, a hundred years. They don't plan like one year, two years. They do, but they, they look out into the future and they, they're probably as culturally in part, they're probably more attuned to nature. You know, Native American Indians be the same. Um, anybody who's land-based that has has come from a a living on the land you know the australian aboriginals as well living right. on the land living with the land where right. we tend to or, or our western world tends to live yeah on top of it at its own speed and right. don't necessarily get the beauty of what it can give one of the right. nice things about designing stuff in the in nature you know like um houses and and stuff is is that a, you've got to embrace nature to do it well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I and and the, the rhythm of it is revealing itself. Um, and of course, you can read about it all you want, but um, now that I'm coming on a year and a half, it's getting oh, yes. very interesting. Now I'm planning my fall beds, and um, it's just it's wonderful to to learn about a whole new area. Um, about the 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 uh, tuning in with nature, um, you know, I will tackle the other part 
of the property, which is the 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 Coast Live Oak understory. Yeah, and I'm definitely, um, you know, planting natives to you know California native mm-hmm. plants mm-hmm. and learning about that. And uh, it's it's very exciting because there's a lot of ivy down there that I'm ripping out right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, ivy and invasive weeds and things like that. We have to take them those out, and you know, um, are they uh, just basic, Those are basically coming from from birds and from you know um, squirrels and stuff like that. Is that where the the seed stocks? Come yeah, from? no, I think I think a lot of the invasives um, that come. It, it it's really from the fact that people are sentimentally. Uh, attached to their idea of a garden from wherever uh, they come yes, from. Yes. So they're not taking, they're not looking at what is here in California. Mm-hmm. Their idea of a garden may be with roses and maybe with English uh, or maybe Italian. Right. Or maybe, Hydrangeas you know, yeah. and things like that. And, you know, it's definitely not box, you know, hedge yeah. and things like this, but um, you can achieve all of that with, California native plants. Do you and, know, I, mm-hmm. I love this. I've got a guy who's on the podcast. Um, you may have heard of him from America, maybe not. He he was on the Oprah show at one point. His name is Jamie Jury. Have you no, ever, I, ever heard of Jamie mm-hmm. Jury? Okay, so Jamie Jury is a horticulturalist and mm. um does amazing large projects and stuff. And I've just yesterday I went, I've got to chase Jamie up because he designed a garden in Malibu that was a fireproof garden and well, so native gardens are naturally fireproof aren't exactly. they exactly and he I, right. I said to him I want to dig into this subject and we're heading we're not towards fire season quite yet but by the time it would come out we might be very close I want to get him to do a, a new, another podcast with me on right. um, fireproofing fireproof your garden and when Wonderful. you were just saying about that you know like that Fire does its own job on the landscape. Like it's part of the elements. It, it has mm-hmm. a job to do and it does its job. Right. Um, and, and, and partly in that and then also, like you say, like so many native plants are fire resistant. Or, right. you know, you take like um, the um, redwoods where they need fire to germinate their seeds. You know, That's without right. fire. Good point. You know, like... Um, so- I find it fascinating, this whole part of the structure of how it works. Right. So, I mean, just to, to, you know, make a complete circle around your point, the invasives are not brought by birds. No, they're (laughs) brought by humans who who arrive. Invaders are actually us and our our, our, um, stereotypical thinking. Mm -hmm. That is what brings the invasives in. And... uh, and it's been interesting because I've had clients, uh, my clothing clients, we've been talking gardening, and I've actually convinced a few yeah. of them to start to plant, you know, convert at least areas of their garden into native plantings. You so know, that's I, another job that I've like invented for myself. <laughs> I think that's so brilliant, though. That's so, so brilliant. It's um, There's something beautiful about that. It, it, when people... Um, can can be, I suppose, educated, and I don't mean educated like heavily educated, but just influenced 
to see the possibility and how you, know, you can still use different structures that look differently. You know, right. That's part of being a designer. A, listen, listen, what I get from, uh, you know, uh, my friends who I talk, you know, with whom I talk about this is that they say, oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. I never even, it doesn't occur to them. Yeah. So I think that in the next few years, it's there will be a tipping point in which we start to think about that. Not because drought tolerant, of course, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. foremost on people's minds, but drought tolerant and native. That's the next mm-hmm. revolution here, here in um, in California and maybe other parts. I think also, like um, certainly in Australia, you know, massive continent with not not much water. Um, mm. You know, Africa's got the same thing. You know, massive continent with different parts with lots of water. Somewhere like New Zealand, you still yeah. have drought. Don't get me wrong; right. you, you still get drought, but it's mm-hmm. nothing like. Um, here, but the plants are attuned to getting so much more water that, you know, when it does drought, they might not be as big or severe as, you know, California or something. Um, But each each, uh, ecosystem has a different level of what its tolerance level to something is. One might be one month, but others might be eight or 12 months, you know. Right, of course. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I asked Jamie this this question, if you could do one last project, and I ask a lot of people this question, one last project that, um, and I might even, we might even give it to you at the end, but um, (laughs) one last project, you can't ever do another thing. This is it. And he said, um, he's a big thinker, Jamie, and he said, oh, I'd take a piece of um, Australian desert where there is, uh, where the land's been, you know, basically laid to waste and it's not worth anything. The land's free. It's whatever produces is worth something. Yes. And he said that way people could afford to have um, ho- homes on there and there'd be modular homes that they could expand as their families grew. And he said, I build a city there. And when he said the city, it means more of an, a landscape there and turn it back into an actual landscape by planting the right plants first and then the next plants and then the next plants and it would generate itself over multiple years um, and also have a commerce base to it itself as well. Of course. And, you know, um, gardening is not so far from clothing design, you know, (laughs) and um, it really is all the same. It is architecture, funnily enough. Yeah, it's all the same because, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a wannabe uh, closet architect myself. I, you know, I may have studied, but I just think that, that um, what I, what I said about, you know, good thinking, observing mm-hmm. uh, and, and taking your cues, all of that you know, goes into gardening, it's really what drives my clothing design. So it it's really about problem solving. It's about observant, you know, building from one collection to the other, uh, what works, what doesn't work, sure. what's in the zeitgeist right now, yeah. what do you want to be inspired by. It's just extremely, I mean, and that's what's so challenging, you know, is that, um, it's we're bringing all of that together the way we do in the garden 
So a hundred percent and also like a range of clothing. You know, you don't design pieces. You do design pieces, but pieces make up a range and it's just like putting a garden together. And especially when the garden's like more permaculture developed, it's right. um and and following native rules or natural rules, um, each piece has its meaning in its context that supports right. another piece. That supports another piece. I love that. Okay, but that seems that's like fascinating because it it actually sparks a brand new idea, which I'll test out on you, cool, Adrian. What it. about this? Okay, permaculture. You mentioned correct. Yeah. Permaculture um, is all of that layering mm-hmm. that has such relevance for what I do. But the the, the one of the most important tenets of uh permaculture is the no dig right you yes, don't okay. do you know about the yeah. no dig no gardening, right? no no tell us about no? that and then then we'll get the uh, context oh yeah this is perfect because no dig is where you do not till the soil before a planting so you know how in the spring you're supposed yeah. to hoe it out yeah, right, and, and yeah. add in and and you mix the soil because that's where you compacted. get rid of all that compost that you've got exactly you well there's a whole movement about no dig in other words you don't ever till the soil not even when you first start a, a garden bed right so what you do is yeah you might put down um uh, cardboard and then you put compost on top of that uh-huh. And and, build and up. then you dig, right? And then and then um, or uh, at the end of the season, you just cut all the plants to the soil level. You leave the roots intact to just biodegrade, you know, degrade yeah. underneath. To, to, and, just and the reason, and the reason is because you don't want to disturb disturb the uh, whole microcosm that that the the little bugs have built underneath. So in other mm-hmm. words, you keep adding, you never mm-hmm. dig under. When you add and plant a, uh, something, you just open it up with a spade, you drop your plant in, yeah. and you close it up, almost like skin, yeah. right? Yeah. And now this is interesting because you might say that my seasons mm-hmm. evolve kind of uh uh, kind of unroll this way. In other words, my closet remains you don't ever completely clean it out right because there's a way that you've been there's a way that you've been wearing the things and the way what you like and so you just add to the top see the way you just add to compost new compost and new plants but you do not disturb so much what's what you've built up I love the that. practice I love that, that you built up. So yeah. isn't that I yeah. just thought of that when you mentioned permaculture, because, you know, I, I like that we ha- were able to open with the garden metaphor, but it's all it's there's so many parallels. <laughs> what fun. I love about that, I love about the the, the, the sort of that why I just chose to do the garden thing right at the start was yeah. because fashion has a speed to it which is a economic speed. Yes. It, it, so, so it's built around commerce and around uh, still seasons. So these seasons, LA less, but, you know, certainly New York, yes. 
Um, it's built around these seasons and it's built around keeping the attention of a consumer um, right. so that they're always aware of what's next and what's happening next and and keeping them currently moving is is so right. much how fashion works and because it's commerce of a space as well no problem um because it's commerce of a space then you've got this rent that you've got to pay and as you're paying this rent then you've got amount of floor space that's got to turn over amount of dollars and with that it becomes a a a business model as much yeah. as anything else. And so when you get take um, gardening, it's got its own pace. You can't speed the pace up. Right. You can keep adding because there's always something that can be added at a certain point. You know, there's right. always, and because of our traditional shipping, production times, volumes and all the rest, we tend to not be able to drop something every day or every right. month or every week, well, probably every month we can these days, but production hasn't ever allowed, it's allowed for big chunky drops. Um, and so it's a, I love the fact that there's a, that parallel. I love the fact of also going, you know, if you treated it like permaculture um, and then it's, you're adding, what you're doing is, is you're saying, you know, come into my garden and in my garden, you can stay as long as you like. <laughs> you can stay forever because there'll always be something here for you. And it right. will, you don't need to, you, you just just come in and be gentle with us. Just, you right. don't have to run in and buy everything at once. Right. Just come on this journey. Come on that's this journey. Right. And, and you would be, I mean, that's that's exactly how I think people fall into my 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 ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think that's because, really cool. Because uh, you, you try one thing and you need to add this and that, this and the way that, yeah, um, there's so many uh, aspects. But, you know, I can't emphasize enough, um, you know, the fact that the problem-solving aspect, the practical side of me is so engaged in, in uh, clothing design. The um, and uh, Yes, because... People think, oh, clothing designer, ethereal. She's she's uh, arty and she is inspired by the uh, space and uh, butterflies and all that. And, and, the and yes, I mean, I have to all those things. Right, right, but but really, my biggest inspiration is simply living. I listen to the I listen to the women. Yeah. I, uh, th their lives inspire me, their accomplishments inspire me, um, my successes and failures with each garment uh -huh. and, you know, a fabrication ex and uh, responding to what is before me. So I build upon the accomplishments of the artisans who make the tan the leather and yeah. weave the fabrics um, and, and create the yarns. And that collaboration. Um, so it's really about, it, it's just become so, <laughs> to use another gardening yeah. uh, metaphor, it's organic. It's yeah. very, very, very um, holistic. Uh, you know, I, it, it, you can make it so, you know, that's. Yeah, 100%. Um, I love, I love 
fabrics. And yeah, I didn't when I first ever started in the fashion industry, it was um it was a lot shallower in my thinking than it was um the the journey that it became. And I just wanted to, you know, have like well, I wanted to my mother actually probably was responsible for starting me in it because she wouldn't buy me clothes. She said, I'll buy you fabric and you can make clothes. Great. And, you know, <laughs> and you start out with a, you know, like a Vogue pattern or something. And of course the thing doesn't fit and all the rest. And I'm like, this is crap. Um and my mother seriously wasn't like a great sewer or anything. She was okay, but she wasn't great at it. And in doing that, I went, no, this is, you know, this is a waste of my time and a waste of my uh, resources and energy. Right. And then I went, but it can't be hard to work out because everybody's wearing it. And um, <laughs> then, then I discovered actually the difference in fabrics. And then, right. you know, that thing, like you were just saying, the artisans who make fabrics, yeah, we take yes. fabrics so much for granted and yet, I remember sitting one day in um, in Italy, and I was uh, I was talking with some guys at a mill, and I had a shirt with me that was mm -hmm. I can't remember what brand it was, probably something like Replay, one of those kind of shirts, you know, Replay yeah. or Diesel or something. Back this is a long time ago, and this shirt must have had oh, maybe maybe twenty different colours of yarn in it. And it, wow. it, it wouldn't lay completely flat. It, it, it held itself sort of in a, the, the fabric had its own life. It wouldn't, you could iron it even and it wouldn't lay completely flat. It would always, not seersucker, but like it would always just pull. Right. And I was, I was talking to these guys about this particular shirt and um, they were saying, oh, well, you know, it's made with, I can't remember how many yarns, obviously all yarn dyed colors, but it was the way they were twisted in different ways and the way they were layered together and the size of the cotton yarn and, you know, each piece of it and that the, the engineering that was in the piece of fabric, not only was the fabric beautiful to look at, but the engineering that was in the piece of fabric was this, it was like another level of opening and it's, again, you know, you could take that analogy with any part of anything once you kind of lift under the, the skin of it. But the artisan ability of these people to play with these different elements, really they're only Absolutely. playing with cotton, but whether they right. twist two pieces or four pieces right. or whether they, this is the, the length of the cotton, the staple when they start to twist it, whether they dye it right. this way or that way or whether they run it against each other. You know, I love denim as well. And you, you start looking at ring spinning and, you know, left-hand weaves and right-hand weaves and why do they change? I think wow. these, these things You're are fascinating. Expert. Yeah, I love yes, this stuff. It yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if uh, that just, you know, the collaboration aspect of it, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we just, we you know, the, the, the whole... Um, it, kind of it's a journey it's a journey with them it really and then, it, then you bring that journey and each designer would see the same fabric and, and think of something different for it that's the other thing I love but that journey is a journey that becomes um taking what they did at it being the the weavers and the the growers and all those kind of things and then taking what they did and then finding a way to bring that to market in a unique expression right. 
And then with that unique expression, finding your tribe that actually feels that with you. And then they start to influence you as well. And it's right. this beautiful it's like journey. A, yeah, it's like a, it's like also, um, wouldn't it be uh, like the, the chef, you yeah. know, um, you take the, you, you really need to, you start with the ingredients yeah. and yeah. for us, it's really the ingredients. <laughs> That's the fabric and the buttons and all that. And then, all the little create pieces. out of that yeah. right so that's why just as chefs need the best materials the best mm -hmm. ingredients that's what that's the most important part of fashion design for me is to have the right sourcing the right materials and um this you know the kind of uh, materials that women um see they feel touch and feel and they say i've got to try this on I have got to try this on. That's the moment. That's what I'm striving for. It's like, I have to taste that. You, I have exactly. To I was about on. to say, it's like seeing a right. piece of food and going, oh, I must. I know I, I shouldn't, right. but I must. It's, it's like, right. do you know? And you know, it's, it's also a, a balance between, yeah. um, you know, things that, 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 that uh, my clients know me for, but then pushing them a little bit further to say, mm -hmm. you know, this is what you know, but you don't know this, but you will want this. You know. So it's my job as a designer to say, you know, I know you think you want this, the same old thing you've had and you yeah. love it that I have the same thing in the line again. But no, actually, you will absolutely crave this. This, and this will getting take you them further. That's right. And often the way that I will approach the collection is I introduce it knowing that I won't sell much of it this mm -hmm. season. But the importance is the important thing is that I introduce it because the next season they will buy it. Do you know, right? this lovely thing, there's a couple of things that this brings to mind. One is, is Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs, I, I'll I'll be making it up somewhat because I don't know the actual um, quote that he said, but he basically He's said the customer, the customer <laughs> doesn't know the future. We create the future. That's so right. the customer That's isn't right. always right because the customer doesn't know what's going to be right in the future. Mm -hmm. We're creating it. And I always think right. that that's a really key statement. The other is, is um, that we, in, in fashion, that thing where, you know, you said they, they, they see it or they touch it or they feel it and they, they've got to try it, that there's something about it. There's two points here. One is, is that they're living in it. And, and I think that has a, a same thing to, you know, designing homes or designing buildings. They're living in it. And sure. I'll come back to that one. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is, is that when the, when, you create something in the future, if you are not stretching them to grow, then then they're actually falling backwards. Right. You, well, you, they don't There need is to. no standing still. They, that's right. You're either going they, they forward really or back. To. Yeah. That's right. That's so right. Just gently stretch them, you know. Exactly. Right. Um, living but, in. Um, I love to hear from my customers. I've been living in it. That's yeah. an expression. Mm -hmm. I live in. I mm -hmm. live in. It. 
And, Magical you know, words. Living, yeah, the, the clothing that I strive to design are clothes that you live in. And those lives can be everything from, you know, the most modest of lives to the most glamorous of mm-hmm. lives, but I want you to live in it. You know, this is super important. Um, and, you know, they, they say clothing designers, um, they turn into lifestyle designers and they mm-hmm. add, you know, shoes and glasses and chairs and all that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because, you know, we are, it it's clothing, clothing is, is just one part of the furnishings that you need yeah. in life. You know, and uh, in French, it's fournisseur, you know, it's, it's actually furnishings, you know, in menswear, yeah, home right. furnishings, yes. right, yes. or men's furnishings. Yes. So I, I just, I love that, that idea that I'm a vendor, I'm a fournisseur, you know, um, the, the, the bourgeois, um, every, every uh, bourgeois in, in the late, uh, 19th century had their their vendor of of their cravats and then their their shirt maker and and uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. I mean, the fact that your life requires the best, the mm-hmm. best in each category, and mm-hmm. then you have your favorite vendor for it, um, fournisseur for it. You know, I think that's a wonderful thing. And so that. that's a different thing from being. The whole idea of the designer. So, Lane, one of the things that I really find fascinating is, you know, like you were saying, how there's these different people that you that people go to, and that creates their collection of the the people that help them furnish themselves for living in their <laughs> clothing. Um, right. With living in something, I see clothing having a, a responsibility as well as, as it should be fun. Clothing should be fun and it sure. should be functional, um, but it should also have a responsibility. And when you were talking before about, you know, the best of, of, of fabrics and, and how materiality matters so much, it occurs to me so quickly that, you know, when you live in something, it's actually touching your it's touching your body. It's touching your skin. Yes. You're touching mm-hmm. it. You're interacting with it. And it's got this responsibility to do that and nurture you while it's happening. Not just how good you look or how good you feel, but actually um, that it's not toxically bad for you and, and that it's not also the, the you know, fashion has a high waste rate in the in, in the planet. And, you know, you go back to that permaculture thing that we spoke about and I go, how important is it that, you know, like if people are just adding pieces to their layers to, you mm-hmm. know, pulling pieces in together in bits, that's that permaculture nature. And then it's like taking them on the organic journey as well. And, and um, these things that are wrapped right. around their bodies. Yes, and and clothing is, um, I mean, my clients, it's a very intimate relationship, isn't it, that I have? Well, usually when everybody's naked and then they put something, you know, if they're naked, it's an intimate relationship. That's where it starts. It's an intimate relationship, (laughs) and I I take that, I I don't take that lightly. Um, So uh, that is the one thing that people, uh, when they... uh, touch my collection they come in contact with my collection they say oh your fabrics are you know feel good 
Um, and then, you know, the, and I think that, that that is the thing that I strive for when I select fabric is really how soft is it um, or how uh, thick is it that you want that thickness against your body, that thinness against your body, all of that is very, that appealing. It's emotional. Very, very, and, yeah, and very kinesthetic. You know, yes, very, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's the first thing. And then how else do I uh, evaluate if it's a good fabric? Yes. It's also along the lines of sustainability. Mm -hmm. And that is a very important part of my clothing practice that I source fabrics from um, that are uh, using byproduct of uh for instance, cupro is a, is, is a byproduct of cotton production. The woody ends of cotton that are yeah, cool. chopped up to make a silky fabric like viscose. There's a lot of cupro in my collection. Also, if I have to use this, a synthetic, mm -hmm. then is it of the highest quality? Is this performance fabric to the highest standard so that it will not shed microfibers and go into the flesh of fish and all of yeah. that and then we'll end up ingesting it and this goes out into the to the water supply um and then uh you know how uh, ethical are the the makers yes. um how am i cutting into mm -hmm. this fabric so there's very little waste yeah how much um, usage how am I do you using get? yeah yeah using scraps i mean those are the markers you remember adrian <laughs> you know the markers and yeah, people absolutely. cutting along markers yeah. and i will change a design if it doesn't fit on a yeah. marker economically because i i do evaluate whether or not that is absolutely crucial to the design and if that extra bit of fabric doesn't mean much then you know we can we can you know uh, move it around absolutely. so again that creativity not just in terms of aesthetic but also in terms of the consumption of the material so this so swings back to your analytics and, and, you know, like we started with this conversation around how it's, it's not just how it looks. It's about how it's about every piece of it. It's about That's the right. joy of joy of understanding the journey right from part one, you know, yes. and, and, and to look fabulous at the end is just, that's, yeah, I've got a friend who right. designed some restaurants. And what about he always says good food is a passport. Mm. So your clothing looking good is, is just a passport. It, that, it's got to do that. Oh. That, that, that's the, that's it's, the it's easy. It's basic. It's yeah, so that's, <laughs> the, that's the part you must get right. And then everything else comes with it. It's yes. the chef, you know, making oh, some yeah. beautiful food. Yeah. It's like good food. Yeah, it's got to be good food. Okay, now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do? We've got great right. Is it emotional? Does yeah. it make an impact? Yeah. You know, does it make an, a, an impression? Is it fabulous? Does I mean, it make everything a must life be fabulous. For somebody, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And then um, another creative, you know, a, a creative, I guess, journey has been that um, to create, you know, within the fashion industry, a company that is a true company in the mm -hmm. sense of is it made up not just of me, whose name is on the label, but my team members. 
I mean, I think that, you know, <laughs> being a mom and having had children is, it has really helped me with that. But I mean, it's a holistic enterprise, right? Yes, the creativity course. is in how you're dealing with people, how you're incentivizing, yeah. um, uh, you know, the, you these people who are highly sensitive and highly aesthetic. Yeah. So I think that's a beautiful thing. I'm a big fan of Yvonne Sherrard. Um, you know, with Patagonia and his whole aesthetic around how you create clothes and, and not only that, how do you create community and how do you create, uh, you know, even to the point where they'll put a store somewhere because they know they're a destination so they can have people open another neighbourhood or, or reuse an old building rather than create a new building. You know, there's a whole lot of thinking behind the... Uh, the, the whole picture, the whole brand awareness. So right. I've got a question for you, which is, so you've, you've done you know, brilliantly well with this and, and you've created oh. <laughs> well, you have, you've done, you've, you've, beautiful clothing and you've created a community and you've, I mean, I met you through Shelley Boyd and, you know, Shelley is here in Australia and she found your boutique and, in um, yes. West she's a part Hollywood. of my global community. Yeah, and she's, she runs a pop-up down here just because she can and her friends can't travel So, and her clients and special clients, they can't travel. So she goes, why don't I do this in one of my showrooms? But, you know, she's a, um, a, a furniture seller, I would say, but she's yes. the most brilliant eye and, yeah, just absolutely oh, fabulous yeah. person. Amazing taste. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that, you know, she's a person who lives in your clothing and has a, a love of it. And so this is how, how it spreads. How, if we go right back, how, what made you even choose that this fashion thing was going to be your gig? You could have chosen anything. Um, ah. you, you could have, <laughs> anything could have popped up. So what kicked off this journey and right. you're self-taught as well, which I love because being self-taught myself. Um, yes. Tell me what kicked off the journey and some of the markers along the way that made right. it such, a, such an amazing journey so far. Right. Big question, but mm. um, very simple. I mean, fashion, I think. Uh, clothing, the love of clothing. I've, I've loved clothing and beautiful things. And, and um, you know, since I was a child and my high school um, classmates, uh, you know, today uh, <laughs> remind me that I would come to school in the strangest get-ups, you know. <laughs> the, and, and my daughter, by the way, is, is continuing that tradition very healthily uh, but How um, your daughter? How you she's she's 18 years old and she will attend art school at central st martin's in london oh, wow. so far away okay. from la yes and yes. saying that um when we're finished i'll, I'll give you some um contacts yeah. in london that friends of mine whose daughter's probably about 20 but just come through st martin's and um oh great my daughter is 18 as well my eldest daughter ah. is 18 as well yeah oh, fantastic okay so much to discuss yeah um, but you know back in the day when i was 18 um yes i lived in thrift stores i could look at clothes all day long 
Um, it's it just, you know, when I went to college at UC Berkeley, I did study literature, yeah. um, comparative literature, actually. Um, and um, and I, I would be, you know, I always had jobs in clothing boutiques and, um, you know, studying the magazines just as, as, as uh, thoroughly as I would study Chanson de Roland or something like this, you know. Um, right, something, and, and my, something my third year abroad, I went to Paris. Yeah, I mean, right. it's just, yeah. I'm a fashion person through and through. I mean, from a very young age. Um, and also business, um, you know, growing up in um, America with immigrant, um, I myself came to the States when I was eight years old um, to California oh, yeah. with my parents and they always had businesses. So, you know, I always knew what it was to have the freedom to run your own business. Mm -hmm. um, so Where did your parents course, come from? So I'm Korean and they came from Seoul where I oh, was born. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they uh, are my my mother's a writer and my father, um, he just passed away, but he was hmm. a uh, linguist. So very involved oh, wow. with culture and learning and language. And so, and you know, their own I, businesses doing that as well. Like, yes, I mean, they couldn't really practice their craft in America. Yeah. They, we, we ran you, we ran stores. Um and so retail is is a part it's of my upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in my blood. And so, um, you know, growing up and um, knowing that kind of I just I was desperate to, um, you know, uh, start and and figure out my own business. So I started in retail and clothing and um, and I uh, quickly uh, you know, began to travel to Europe. This was the '80s, so yeah. I mean, this is this is the the, the wild '80s, and uh, I traveled to Paris, London, Milan to source, you know, to to carry the best designers, and in Los Angeles, actually. So um, my first venture was a clothing um, retail store. Uh, You're starting uh, to sound like Ralph Lauren about now. <laughs> oh, right. Well, that's that's how I started. Similar journey, yes. Me and, you know, like me and good old journey. Ralph. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but but also um, th that venture uh, was was a collaboration. Um, I had the wonderful opportunity to work with the Morphosis. Um, you know, the Frank Gehrys, Protégés yes. had Morphosis, and uh, at the time, the cutting edge designers. One of those designers went out on his own, Michele Sai, and mm -hmm. we hired him. Um, and uh, his right-hand man was Richard Lundquist. So we really had an amazingly innovative, um, cutting-edge uh, presentation. Um, glass. Awesome. Uh, it's, it was really amazing, and it was a great experience. Um, you know, uh, uh, mirrors that swiveled around and, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. A, a shoe platform that also doubled not just as a shoe display, but um, was also a runway for shows. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the facade spelled out ECRU in metal letters. I mean, it yeah. was beautiful, fabulous, great experience. After that, though, after spending so much money on architecture, 
I learned never to spend that much money on architecture for a store again. <laughs> right. That was a, a good lesson so, learned. That was a great lesson because you could do just as much with much, you know, much less. With a pop-up. Uh, with a pop-up. Pop Absolutely. Just as yeah. creative, just as fabulous. So after that, I designed a collection called Product. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a time when they could say, I'd rather wear product than Prada. Uh. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this was a, a quote from Women's Wear Daily uh, at the time. Uh, that was the 90s for me. And, yeah. um, and uh, after that, I uh, took a hiatus from the fashion industry to have two children nice. um, and work on my personal relationships. I uh, my husband and I got married. We bought and sold a few houses. We moved from New York City back to L.A., wow. did all of that. At the end of that, I decided, uh, well, when, the, when my daughter Echo went to uh, kindergarten, I thought I have five hours in the day that I could do something with. And what am I going to do? So, of course, right back to fashion. Um, and this time, right. And this was, you know, I called it, it's it, it, the eponymous collection, right? Elaine Kim collection. Yeah. And this time I decided, you know, I've really evolved since my trendy product days. Um, and uh, I, I just want luxury fabrications. Yeah. I would like to have have uh, fabrics that can be composted. I would like it to be a sustainable um, practice. Um, I'd like it to be very artisanal, uh, you know, not mass market. So it was, even it today, was a we do growing not. Growing up. Growing up, I had to do it. <laughs> Being a mom and all, right? Exactly. Right. It's, almost, it's almost that same transition, isn't it? It's well, like, okay, I life's really got me now. About now think about everything else. Think yeah. about thinking about the future uh -huh. and what kind of water are my kids drinking Absolutely. in the future? Yeah. And what am I putting into the environment? You know, all of that. I would pick them up in my uh, Mercedes converted to a uh, diesel Mercedes station wagon converted with vegetable oil. Do you remember that whole thing? <laughs> I do. Of course, today I have electrical vehicles, but back then oh. I was, you could smell me coming up, you know, <laughs> coming up the hill. Here. Running it on some uh, It smelled like French fries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Recycled French fry oil. Uh, so yeah, it, that sustainability thing became super important. And um, I read a book um, at the time called Cradle to Cradle, uh, yes. which is, um, you know that book, yes. right? McDonough and uh, there's another guy um, in which, you know, the, the, the basic thesis of that book is if we can use materials that are regenerative, that can be uh, that can be composted, that can be you know reused and reused, then you can be endlessly creative. You're constantly not, you're constantly feeding the cycle of the, cycle, the planet, right? Not, cradle not just to taking cradle. from it, yeah. Right. And I thought, well, this is one way that I could justify being in a consumer uh, business. Right, mm -hmm. where you're buying my clothes, but at least I know it could go back into the ground and, mm -hmm. and uh, rot away one day. So that's it, and it doesn't um, leave a residue that's going to harm anything. That's right. That's right. A, we will walk lightly, right? Mm, we'll, touch, we'll, touch the earth lightly. 
Yes. What a beautiful so, thing. So your clients end up, whether they know it or not, getting that. Whether they, whether they embrace that or not, they get that because you've said it as part of their journey. And, and Adrian, let me tell you that um, even from the beginning when uh, there was all this, you know, emphasis on sustainable and brands were marketing themselves as well we are sustainable and that's the number one thing that we're about Mm -hmm. I mean my idea always has been sustainability uh eco-friendliness is always should be the baseline in other words what else are you besides you should already be that you shouldn't have that Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm I think we've got a freeze there. Are we back? Yeah, I could not hear that. No, we've um, got it froze. It's okay. I've made a note yes, when it yes, is. Yes, so sorry. Um, that's cool. Um, right. That that thing around um, sustainability is again, it becomes a passport. It becomes a passport to yes. um, just being in this trade or being. Uh, being influenced or, or being an influencer at that level where people are touching you what you have and all the rest it, it, it's like say if it can become a passport it, look it's something that the the building industry is way behind in this um you know like what I'm studying some stuff at the moment on building biology um because uh-huh. it's about the wellness of a building not just the wellness and the design and how it is, but the wellness and the materiality. Yes. Oh, that's very this important. Is, and and mm-hmm. as people with the pandemic have spent more time in their homes. Um, yes. Not that their homes are probably the worst of offenders, possibly commercial is the worst offender. Um, but in saying that, there's nobody that uh, actually sets these standards. Well, there is standards that are set, but they're, they're loosely set standards. And you could be living in quite a toxic environment um, internally right. in your home. And so mm-hmm. when you look at, you know, when I come back to that responsibility of clothing, then how do we take that responsibility in homes as well? So it's a, I think it's a, a, the pandemic has certainly um, accelerated the, the community's thinkings on so many of these levels and you know when you're saying about having your garden and this this piece of it the balance of it is suddenly an awareness level that keeps layering in i love that Absolutely. i think it's really important Absolutely. yes really it important. is and and you see how much a uh, commonality there is between you know all of these disciplines and that that uh that's what's very exciting to me it's creatives um, that that are problem solving it, oh, it's yes. our responsibility as creatives to problem solve and create outcomes that nurture not destroy you know thrive not that's survive right. stuff it's um that's, right. that's part of our responsibility because we were given the gift of creativity yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful, but also fairly pessimistic at the same time. <laughs> I think there's a balance in that know. as well. Me too. Right. You know. Right. Um, um, I've got another question for you. Yeah. A lucky last question. If you had to create a collection 
and it's going to be to tie into that last, um, you know, that one I warned you of before. One last collection. Mm-hmm. You had to present it in your garden. And yes. it, had oh. to, it had to have the meaning. I'm sure you're planning to present something in the garden already, especially <laughs> with Bucky's with Bucky's geodesic <laughs> dome in there. Um, if you had to create one last collection that you were going to present in your garden, what would be the underpinning foundations and who would you choose to take it from there because you're finished, you're done? Well, who would you choose to who would you choose to take on the mantle of carrying it forward? With your name, by the way. Mm. Better wait to that one. Did we freeze? Ah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that, that's. I'll that's, ask the question again, just in case yes. we need it. Um, right. And just start my timer again as well. Twenty-three. So, Lane, with having one last collection that you can do, this is it. You can present it in the garden, Bucky's. <laughs> geodesic dome in the background and um i want to know what would underpin the values that you you would want to say in your last ever collection but the brand goes on the brand goes on and who would you see would be worthy of taking the brand on and um yeah their values they're, they're what you would like to see happen for the brand in the future okay the the easiest part of that question is the last part. And that is, I think that I've been very clear about what the brand Elaine Kim is. And now in the evolution of the brand, and I can truly say that it's really beyond me and who mm-hmm. I am. So there's the brand Elaine Kim and there's me. So I think that... Um, if I've been successful enough to articulate that vision through this, you know, 13, 14 years of, you know, consistent, you know, practice, mm-hmm. and I've built that team, such a talented, amazing uh, group of right now, it's both men and women. Yeah. Um, that team will be very well equipped to to not just carry it forward but just make it even better because wow. i've started something and i think it's it's going to live it's clear everybody gets it everybody understands it i'm supported by the stores that carry my brand um the women who actually wear the clothing the women i meet um the the uh suppliers who work with me it's it's really a great thing and yes i would really hope that the brand could go on an incredible ecosystem that you've already built yeah well it's still it still is is yeah yeah we're still building it but um it's it's its own beast it's its own beast it's um it's alive and breathing um right yeah that's awesome and 
Right. Okay. So that's so the, the, the first part. Yeah, the first part the last. Can I take the last part first? Okay. So then that's, that's okay. Now for the more difficult part, which yeah. is what would that, what would that last collection be? Mm-hmm. And it really what I, the only thing that I may leave or take a lot of time away from my business to do would be to maybe work on a book. And the reason is because I really need to organize and get everything in its place. What, who was I when I lived in, in, as a child in Korea? Who mm-hmm. was I when I lived in San Francisco? Who was I when I went to high school in Los Angeles? Who was I as a, as a young exchange student in Paris? Um, studying all those languages. Who was I when I did my first business? Um, all of, and, and not just who was I, but I can only be defined by the, the era. So there's yes. a lot of research that I need to go back and do about who were those people that I came into contact, to, contact with. Who um, you and and who, so, who shaped Right. You? What yeah. was really going on? what was going on. So that journey is, is really exciting because I think that we can only, you know, understand the future if we understand where we've been, the, the, the past. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so and, and, yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just think that, that, that in preparation for that book, I would want my last collection to be a book. In other words, not a literal book, but maybe a book of the clothing I've created as a kind of retrospective um, and reprise, uh, a, a reprise of some of my best work or some of my most important things that, you know, some of my most personal designs, uh-huh. um, yeah. some of the, be- the, the best loved designs. Yeah. And what I think, what I think I will find and what I hope to find is a kind of, I hope to find me as a designer there. Like, oh, after all those years, after all those designs, that's what it looks like. I'm too close to it right now. I was about to say a reflective. It's, um, it's getting perspective from the distance. And as you said, like, if you can only understand the future by understanding where you've been, the history, you know, that's that reflectiveness that's that stepping back and and then putting all the the yeah i mean you'd have favorite garments that maybe never were great i have sellers. favorite garments yeah but also what is what is valid are the favorite garments of of my wearers i was about to um, say no, they 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 know they know what my best things are yes. and even today i i go back and i do I, I'm inspired by oh, my own vintage, believe me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, there's nothing wrong with that wide pant that I designed back in the day. Let's bring that back. Yeah, let's know? bring that back. And there's let's... a way to bring, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a way to bring things back in a modern way, Absolutely. in a way that things are relevant, you but know, again, using. But it's part of sustainability. You don't yes. just throw everything out as you go. You learn from Don't your successes. Don't ever throw your Ely. 
Yeah, don't ever throw Elaine Kim clothes away. You'll need no, no, it. No. You'll want it. It's permaculture. <laughs> it's permaculture. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, Just Elaine. that. Never throw away. You can yes. throw away the other designers, but, yeah. but never, never eat cake. You can throw no, away that, your product, that but you can't throw away your product. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, and what would be so uh, iconic in that show would be that I would be in this ancient coast live oak forest Mm -hmm. with a view of Buckminster Fuller's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a kid home. So, of course, it's not one of his fancier things. But but yes, a dome house, a dome cabin, which is, I mean, such a classic. I am uh, so grateful to be able to, it's a, it's a beautiful little structure. And, um, and that, is, that was that era's idea of modernity. Yes. So it's, 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 it's the future and the past all in one structure. So I think that it would be just, you know, that's a great idea. Adrian, I have to thank you for that <laughs> you idea. Have to wait until 23 so I can be there for the show. I don't oh, think we'll get to travel. Friend. Well, I doubt that we'll travel. We might get out of out of Australia in 22, but our borders are closed. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a big effort to go anywhere. Um, we can't. Well, there you go. I, yeah. I, you're my inspiration. <laughs> I must thank you for that. Oh, I think it would be fabulous. And, you know, like I, I believe in um, embodied energy that happens to things as well. So, you know, my kids... Uh, me coming from a fashion background originally, you know, my kids were, were lots and lots of hand-me-downs um, from other kids who would be their friends. And, you know, my first ever instinct with it was, oh, my kids, can we can buy our own clothes, you know. And then I saw the joy in, in, in uh, not even my family, but the joy in another kid who had been given something from another kid and they were like, this is, this belonged to my cousin. And that struck me as, wow, they were so proud of something that was somebody else's, whereas I was looking at it as a hand-me-down. And it shifted my thinking. And I thought about all the favorite garments that I had from different things that I'd done where people would give me a sweatshirt They'd go, oh, you have, have this sweatshirt of mine. You know, like I used to ski a lot and um, I'd, I'd live in the mountains and at the end of the season there'd be people going everywhere and they'd be going, oh, God, I've got too much stuff. And so I'd have, I remember an old ski, uh, an old sweatshirt that was from Lake Placid. And, um, you know, this was before it was easy. You know, travel was such an easy thing. Things like that. And I went, oh, God, I, I hang on to all that stuff still. To this day, I hang on to things that have memories of places, especially in clothing. And then I look at the hand-me-down thing and I go, that's filled with joy from another person. And when I look at the Buckminster Fuller um, geodesic dome or any of the stuff that Bucky did, I go, that's filled with intuition. It's filled with genius. And that yes. his genius is in that structure, whether he built that one or whether he, he just designed that structure. I look at Frank Lloyd right. Wright, I look at Gary, I look at all these people. Their genius is in those structures. And I go, exactly. we don't want to forget that that's what happens. And the same in the right. clothing, the same in the clothing, mm-hmm. that genius yes, is used. What's, what's old is new again. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Right. Cradle Elaine. to cradle, all all the cycle. Awesome chat. I really, really appreciate your time. That was so cool. Um, I enjoyed it so much, Adrian. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to post all your socials um, and all those kinds of things. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Or in fact, all my pleasure. It was fantastic. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking say three questions and this is called takeaway selling so this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you it's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them you put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you it's that type of thing so this is called takeaway selling so the first question you ask you say well why don't you just leave the situation as it is why why make the change that's an unusual thing for a designer to say, well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, well, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.